Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back once again to Game Time Sports, where it's always game time. For my co-hosts Danny Kern and John Reggio, my name is Nick Chickalese, and we're coming to you here live every Wednesday from 7 to 8.30 on WXVU 89.1 The Roar, or wherever and whenever you get your podcasts. And gentlemen, uh, there were some events that transpired over the weekend that I think are pretty significant to the residents of this campus, but before we get to those, I just really quickly want to hit on the NFL uh, changing its overtime rules so that now in the postseason, both teams will be guaranteed possession. Uh, what do you guys think of the rule change? Uh, I'm honestly a fan of it. I think that, you know, it's been a complaint for a while now, and we've kind of seen why, especially um, in these upcoming playoffs, or these past playoffs, uh, even though in one of the more important games it didn't exactly matter. Mm-hmm. But... um. In, in overtime, it shouldn't really come down to a coin flip. I, I said that a couple months ago, and um, I kind of stick with that point now, and I'm glad that the NFL sees it. But I'm not really sure why it's limited to the playoffs exactly. I think you could include it in the in the regular season too. I know it's um, maybe a little less consequential in the regular season, but um, every win counts in the NFL, especially with a 17-game season. But I'm happy that at least it's in the playoffs now, personally. Yeah, no, John, I definitely agree with you, I think. That was a good decision on the NFL's part to uh, switch this rule. Danny, use the other mic if you don't mind. You can't be having playoff games like the Bills-Chiefs uh, come down to a, a coin toss. That was just, you know, unfortunate for the Bills because it looked like whoever won that coin toss was going to win the game with how both offenses and especially the defenses were playing. So I think it's a good move. But I also do agree that the NFL should switch it to not only the postseason but the regular season because all 17 games matter and – how do you know that a team that will miss a playoff that one game wouldn't go on and win the Super Bowl? So I don't really like that they just did it for the postseason. But overall, it's a step in the right direction for the NFL. Yeah, uh, I also like the change, but I just want to I hit on a couple things. Like the Bills game is the game that like really brought on this, yeah. and that game shouldn't have been gone to overtime. So you could talk all you want about, oh, if the Bills win the coin toss, is probably in the game. And yeah, you're exactly right. But the Bills deserve to lose that game for how horribly they mismanaged the clock in the last 13 seconds of that game not I don't believe they fired their special teams coordinator but that should have been an automatic firing deciding to kick the ball deep there with 13 seconds left like you've got to be kidding me that's, uh that's true I do not have any sympathy for any Bills fans uh that complain about not getting the ball in overtime because your defense couldn't I mean look like a high school defense out there can't get a stop in 13 seconds and then I also agree pretty dumb move to not kick it deep not really sure what the, what the Bills coaching yeah. staff was thinking there, mm-hmm. leaving Kelsey in a one-on-one situation with the linebacker. I mean, that's a layup for Mahomes and Kelsey. So Bills have nobody to blame but themselves, so I don't want to hear it from, from Bills Mafia about how they got screwed out of the spot, the spot in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Um, thank you uh, for that. And I just uh, – like, listen, the uh, two games that had the, coin, that had the coin toss this year in the playoffs, one was that. And I think we all agree the Bills deserve to lose for how they manage the clock there. And the other one is the Bengals-Chiefs game. The Chiefs won the toss and did not win the game. Although I, it, it is unbelievably significant that I think in the playoffs, the coin toss winner wins, like, what, like 80% of the time or something like that. So I think it's clearly time they address the rule. And it's just kind of a difficult situation because they don't want to make the games cra- too much crazy longer uh, because of, like, an increased risk of injury as players get more fatigued. But I, like... I don't know how you address it such that both teams are going to get the ball and have a chance. And even now, like I, so if you win the coin toss, you still elect to receive. Mm-hmm. You score. Your opponent scores. And 
Now you go score, you win, you win the game. Is that is that correct? I believe so. Yes. So, if you have offenses that are performing as well as the Chiefs Bills just were, uh, he might have a similar sort of issue. But yeah. I agree, it's yeah. a step in the right direction. And one other note I just want to hit on is that the Bills had the top scoring def- the top scoring defense in the NFL last year. They gave up the fewest points per game. I don't think any one of us think they're the best defense in the NFL, but they were by points allowed the the most successful last year. And Mahomes and that Chiefs offense t- surgically tore them apart so thoroughly that they had the entire NFL world saying we need to the overtime rules are fundamentally unfair and need to change. It was this guy carving apart the best points per game defense in the league, eviscerating them to such a degree that there's universal, this needs to change. So I, I mean, just. I think it was more so that how well the Bills' offense was playing, that they didn't get a chance. But yes, Mahomes did, did look very good, did carve up the Bills' yeah. defense. But. Yes, the, uh, although I see, yes, Bills', Bills offense does get a lot of credit for that game, but the Chiefs' defense was nowhere nearly as good as the Bills' offense. Uh, Bills' defense, excuse me. Hmm. Anyway, moving on. Uh, when we signed off. On Wednesday, we asked for the chance to talk about Villanova in the Final Four, and that's exactly what we have. Congratulations to the Villanova Wildcats for returning to the Final Four for the first time since 2018, where they won the national championship with wins over Michigan and Houston, two of the ugliest-looking wins I have ever seen, but I'm not going to complain about a win during March Madness. So, obviously, huge congratulations to the team. We talked a lot about uh, matching up with Hunter Dickinson and the size and that um, how that could create problems for Villanova. Uh, I was a little surprised to see how under how Michigan utilized them. I was expecting him to get a lot more looks in the post. He started off slow, missed his first four shots, but then looked like he got into a little bit of a rhythm, and then they just went away from him, and he could not get that rhythm back in the second half, missing a lot of inside looks, not crashing the offensive boards as thoroughly and as effectively as I thought he would. And uh, Villanova won a game there where they didn't shoot the ball particularly well, which is, uh, surprised me, but got to give the Wildcats credit. Uh, they were phenomenal on defense in that game. And then the Houston game, uh, listen, like your opponent shot 1-20 from three, and I know a lot of that was good defense, but a lot of those are open looks too. But, uh, and the Houston defense was just as good as advertised, if not better. And uh, But they made enough shots and found a way to win the game with uh, Kong Gillespie, I think clearly kind of dinged up there. And uh, only scoring, I believe, six points. Only made one shot. Yeah. And uh, I just have to give credit. I have to continue to kind of put my foot in my mouth on this one. Jermaine Samuels has been the best player on this team in the month of March. He, is, he was the most outstanding player in the region. He carried Villanova for big portions of the game against Houston. And uh, we talked, Danny said uh, that Villanova will go as far as Jermaine Samuels takes them. And so far he's been exactly right. And Jermaine Samuels has led this Wildcat team in the Final Four. Yeah, I also have to give Jermaine some props because I have said all year how I think he has NBA lottery pick potential, but just something seemed off where he just wasn't aggressive. He got the ball down low, wouldn't take it up strong. So I have to give him major respect for in his fifth year and the most important crucial stretch of the season, he stepped up and been the best player on the floor in pretty much every game. I mean, if you look at the Michigan game, he had 22 points. Uh, seven rebounds, and then against uh, Houston, I think he had 21 or 21 and uh, let me see. But Dickinson getting 15 points and 15 boards against uh, Nova. If you would have told me that pregame, I would have been like, all right, he dominated the glass. Nova's probably going home. But 
Fortunately, Michigan didn't shoot the ball very well, neither did Villanova, and Cats kind of just survived in a rock fight. So Michigan was, was playing some good basketball heading into the heading into the game, so you got to give Villanova a ton of credit. I don't really want to care. I don't, I don't want to hear from anyone that they, you know, got lucky that Michigan beat Tennessee because I wasn't personally too high on Tennessee going into the tournament. I think I, I personally think Villanova matched up better against Tennessee than Michigan. And then going on to the Houston game, yeah, Jermaine 16-10. and 10, Really the only guy who shot the ball well. I mean, 6-10 from the field. No one else shot north of 50%. So, no one else even really got close. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, I want to keep praising Jermaine. He's been playing like a monster really since the end of the regular season into the Big East tournament and now obviously the NCAA tournament. One thing that I do have to say, uh, if we're being honest here, Brandon Slater has been one of my favorite players on the team all year. And he has really been nowhere to be found this entire tournament. And that is a major problem considering the loss of Justin Moore. He's going to have to step up. I don't believe he scored against Ohio State. I know he didn't score against Michigan, and he had two points against Houston. So Brandon Slater was a candidate for the most improved player on Villanova's team throughout the entire regular season. And so far in the tournament, he just hasn't been the same kind of player. And the one thing that I have noticed is I get it if you're not scoring, but you at least have to be your, your normal like elite defensive player, and he hasn't been that. So on both ends of the floor, he's just really struggled. I don't know if the moment's too big for him or, or what the case is, but, I mean, he only took four shots against Houston, and all four of them were threes. So the Brandon Slater that was attacking the rim with confidence, dunking over people that we saw all regular season, really hasn't shown up, and I think he has to be one of the major keys if Villanova's going to beat Kansas. Yeah, my, my takeaway from the Michigan game was um... – I had both of these games, honestly, was that even when our offense isn't performing at its best, we can have that defense to fall back upon. And we know, like from a lot of other teams in the tournament and kind of the history around that, that teams that are just good at one thing and not really good at the other on the offensive and defensive side don't really go far. And uh, I think we kind of see why in this. So one thing in Michigan I was a little surprised to see was Hunter Dickinson only getting 31 minutes, which is still, you know, a lot of minutes. But um, you would think that throwing your – Best player out there only for three-quarters of the game instead of four-fifths or five-sixths of it um, could make a big difference, and I think it did because when he was in the game, like, he was a presence in the post. You have to be you kind of have to be wary of that, although Villanova did send good help defense. And then Houston, honestly, I didn't have many takeaways from that game except that it sent us right to the Final Four. Um, uh, we did play good defense, and we did defend some threes very well, but they also just had some open threes that they completely missed. And, I mean, they hit three of those, and they're on top of us at the end of that at the end of that situation. So um, not sustainable. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be happy to face a less imposing defense in Kansas, but they're still a pretty com- complete team. And, you know, eventually we'll transition to that. But, Danny, you said something about the Justin Moore injury, and I think we can – we owe it to him, at least, to spend a little bit of time talking mm-hmm. about him, his impact on the team, yeah. and kind of like the replacements. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be really yeah. difficult, um, obviously. So, Justin Moore played the most minutes out of any player during the Houston game, 37, and trying to cobble together these 37 minutes. Forget about, I'm forget about the points here for a second. I'm just, like, in terms of defense, Colin said in the post-game interview that Justin Moore spends a significant amount of time defending the opposing team's best scorer. And trying to replace just his defensive productivity is going to be really difficult. Um, he hasn't been an especially efficient scorer this year, but he is another option that allows you to space the floor and can and will make uh, some really difficult threes. Uh, but before we get too far into that, I just wanted to circle back to what Danny said, and this kind of ties into replacing his offensive production. 
Brandon Slater has made one shot in the NCAA tournament. He has made one basket. It was against Udell. He was one of one from the floor. Uh, it was the N1, like, early in the game. He had three points in that game. He made the free throw. He has made one shot in the NCAA tournament. Brian Antoine has made the same number of shots. Um, if you told me that before the tournament started, I would have thought disaster struck and we lost to Udell. Um, because there's no way that Villanova is going to make it the Final Four with one of their starters scoring like one and a half points per game and making a quarter of a shot per game. So he, I, I know, I, I've said this three shows in a row now, but this time I think it's really, really true with uh, Justin Moore getting hurt. He's got to score, and I don't need 15 points from him. I, I probably don't even need 10, but I need five or seven. I need him to drive, attack the rim, uh, draw fouls, Get the other team in foul trouble. Just be an offensive presence off the dribble drive. And as Danny mentioned, four shots in the Houston game, all threes. I know they're a really good defensive team, but this is a guy who's a phenomenal athlete. Needs to be able to penetrate, get to the rim, and just be a tertiary option for Villanova scoring the ball. That is crazy that he's only made one shot in the entire tournament. But I just think the key for him is he's got to get back to being the Brandon Slater of Norma on the defensive end. Because... As Gillespie said, Justin Moore uh, primarily guards the other team's best player. So I think without him, Slater has to be your best defensive player on the floor. Um, I think you got to put him on um, Oche Abaji, and he's one of the better players in the country. He's going to be a lottery pick. Similar size, Slater's probably a little taller, but I think Jay Wright has to, has to task uh, Brandon Slater with shutting him down. And he does have a tendency, Abaji does, to, as good as he is, he uh, – there, I've watched multiple Kansas games this year where he just hasn't scored. Like, I think they played Texas Tech or Texas, and, and the game went in a double overtime, and he made his first field goal in overtime. So he can kind of go into a shell. when he's a, he's a very streaky player. So I think the key is you can't let him get hot because he can score from anywhere on the floor. But, yeah, Nicholas, I, I completely agree. Brandon Slater has to step up. Losing Justin Moore is an absolute killer. He's been one of the better players on their team um, really since he entered the, entered the program three years ago. But you just have to feel for him because, I mean, I think he got hurt with 35 seconds left. Like, yes, 50 seconds. The game wasn't over, but, like, it was about with 40 seconds left. Um, so, very unfortunate. But, unfortunately, Villanova's just got to move on. But I think it just shows the culture that Villanova and Jay Wright have built in this program that when he got hurt, as soon as the, the buzzer sounded at the end of the game, you saw every player on the team run over to console him while he was crying and, you know, got a towel over his head. And they just made him feel that, he was an essential part of this team, and he accomplished making it to the Final Four. I know he's not going to be able to play with the Cats in New Orleans, but you got to give Justin Moore a ton of credit for everything that he's done for this program. And, I mean, hopefully he can recover in time for next year and be back for another run, but it's just very unfortunate the way it all happened. But I think, as I said uh, at the start of the tournament, the Nova's going to go as far as Jermaine Samuels takes him. If he continues to be the best player on the floor, I don't see any reason why Villanova can't beat Kansas and eventually win championship. Villanova is one of the best teams in the country, and I, I don't want to say the field is weak, the Final Four field is weak, but I do not respect Kansas. I never have, and I've always said they're, they're the worst of the of the four one seeds. I would want nothing more than Jay Wright to beat Bill Self. I cannot stand Bill Self, but um, I think when you look at Duke and North Carolina, not a lot of people, even though Duke was a two seed, most people felt that going into the tournament, the ACC was really weak, and this wasn't a great Duke team. And then North Carolina... Obviously, as a uh, seven or eight seed, um, eight seed, they uh, 
not not many people expected them to make a run uh, this deep in the tournament. But I do have to say, the past month and a half, two months, really ever since Duke went into Chapel Hill and blew North Carolina's doors off, North Carolina has been playing like one of the best teams in the country. And I think North Car- Duke's going to have their hands full against Carolina. Armando Baycott uh, is one of the best rebounders, one of the best big men in all of America. So Duke's got their hands full there. But it should be a very exciting Final Four. I can't wait. Um, uh, what, are, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, you hit on a lot there. <laughs> you hit on a lot, a lot there. Yeah, I mean, I can touch on... Danny, you were talking about Villanova culture there. Mm-hmm. And I know some people, some of the fans, some here, some just around the country, see that Justin Moore injury. And they just kind of feel like we should just give up and kind of have our charity run in New Orleans and then go home after a first or a, 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 a kind of embarrassing exit to Kansas. But, you know, that's not this team. You're dead wrong if you think that way. Um, Villanova, it's a next man up culture. It's a system. It's not individual players. So what I really want to see out of this game coming up is addition by subtraction. I think Justin Moore has been the guy to just take that shot mm. uh, when you're swinging it around. Like mm. when you just think of think of this situation, you've probably seen it plenty of times. The ball the ball starts on one end of the floor and it ends up swinging around the arc to the other end, and it would be Justin Moore taking it. But now other guys are going to get that shot. Brandon Slater is going to be pu- putting up more shots. And one guy I want you to look for in this game coming up is Brian Antoine. I think that he will play, and I think that for us to win, he is going to have to show us some of his flashes of five-star potential he, mm. he's a five-star recruit for a reason and he can be that guy and i think that this might be the situation to kind of bring that out so that's really what i'm going to be looking for in the kansas game just kind of filling the justin moore hole that yeah. is being left yeah um villanova played uconn uh during the regular season at wells fargo justin moore missed that game Villanova won by 11 points i'm looking at the minutes logs for this game and uh, Jordan Longino played seven. He's not available. Antoine played six. Chris Archidiacono played 26 minutes in that game. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to allocate uh, Jay Moore's 35, 30, uh, 34, 35 minutes the same way. But your first substitution of the game is almost certainly going to be Chris Arch. And yep. I know we've ripped on this guy for <laughs> three years now. Um if there was ever a moment to step up and like shut shut everybody up, that's like talking about him. It's it's now. Does not get a bigger stage than this. And uh, Dan and I were talking about this at Darren and I that uh, it's just gonna have to be a situation where Colin and Jermaine are gonna have to completely empty the tank. Uh, probably play 38, 39 minutes. Uh, just try and look for situations where like. Uh, you can get Colin quote extended rest where if it's you know you got eight minute you're like at the eight twelve something you can call a timeout have that next dead ball stoppage is the media timeout just things like that to try and get him extra rest without actually having him miss the game for Colin and for Jermaine and uh, Eric Dixon has to stay out of foul trouble um, he has picked up three about I think he's picked up two or three just really. Silly, silly fouls. Yeah, like in, there was in one the past over the weekend, back. there's Last uh, game I remember. he had, he had uh, two I remember that were ninety feet from the basket. They were uh, over the, they were loose ball fouls on rebounds, and then he had uh, I think a reach in at like forty feet from the like forty feet from the hoop. It like you gotta stay away from those ticky tack fouls because Kansas is going to absolutely hunt him early in the game to try and get him in foul trouble, to try and get Villanova to play. It's uh not especially deep bench. 
And if he gets into foul trouble, it's not even more of a dire situation than it was against Michigan. Because at least against Michigan, you had the reliable sixth man, and you don't you don't have that anymore. So if he gets into foul trouble, that could be the game. My opinion is everyone on Villanova's campus is talking about possibly Brian Antoine, who is a straw, and I would not count on him to do anything. I'm sorry, he's a five-star recruit, but for three years has done nothing. So in the biggest game of his career, I'm not expecting him to show up against you know a number one seed, one of the better teams in America. So I just want to get that out of here. Chris Archie-Hackenau couldn't score against in the intramural team at Villanova. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm not. Here's what I think Jay Wright and Villanova needs to do. If everything goes to plan, you got two games left. You can put ice on your knees on Monday night after you win the national championship. Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels, Justin Moore, and Caleb Daniels, you have to go like 38-40. You can, you can, each of you can get a couple minutes of rest, but there's going to be a couple players on Villanova's team, maybe Samuels and Gillespie, that have to go 40 minutes. Because I'm sorry, Chris Archie-Dakano doesn't belong in the Final Four. He doesn't belong playing in Division One. So but Quinnipiac, Danny, but Quinnipiac. He, he can't be out on we the We stole him from Quinnipiac. So I don't want to hear people talking about the UConn game when he scored nine points. The fact that you're citing a nine-point performance from Chris Archidakino, a scholarship player at Villanova Basketball, one of the premier programs in the country, is embarrassing. He should not be he should not be on scholarship at Villanova. When we looked at his at his offers early in the year, it's Villanova and ten schools you haven't heard of. Once again, and I and I continue to criticize him all year, and I don't mean to sound like a mean person. I'm, I'm not, but I'm just saying he can't be playing in the Final Four. He doesn't belong as a Division One college basketball player. He's terrible. And, I mean, m- like, my mom, when I talked to her on the phone today, said number four out there. Like, she knows he doesn't belong out there. Nick's mom has been texting him all year. Chris Archie-Nakno, every time he comes on the floor, they're worried. He's a liability. He just stands in the corner. No. No Chris Arch. No Arch anymore. He's <laughs> <laughs> a five-star recruit. Hasn't done anything in three years. I don't understand why people are expecting him to show up in the Final Four. I really think it's going to have to be the five starters. you got to empty the tank. you got to go 38, 39, 40 minutes. That's where you play your best players. Unfortunately, Villanova's not a deep team. I think a lot of people didn't realize how much of a killer losing Longino was for the season uh, back in the Big East tournament, but now it's proven. Like, imagine if we could have Jordan Longino come off the bench for 12 yep. minutes. That will be huge. But I think you just got to empty the tank. Jermaine Sammons and Colin Gillespie, you're playing in your last college games. Go 40 minutes. You can put ice on it on Tuesday when you have a ring on your finger. That's that's what I have to say. Mm. A second ring on your finger. True. <laughs> but I think that's – if I were Jay Wright, that's what I would do. I'm not – if Chris Archidakno plays more than 20 minutes, I don't think Villanova can win that game. Mm. John? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard to come back or, like, respond yeah. to. I mean – you make the point about people not expect or people expecting Antoine to go off. I haven't really heard many people saying that. Like I and like the point that I made about Antoine was he has the potential. Like there's like people scouted him from the very beginning of high school and right until the end where he ended up in Villanova's system and they saw something in him that made him a five star. He hasn't shown it in college. He's been here for what's it been? 3 years now. This is is a junior. It's his third year. But it has to come out eventually. Someone has, like he has to tap into that potential, and you're just waiting on that one game for him to eventually kind of figure it out and catch up to the speed of Division One, you know, Power Six Conference basketball. And you know, do you expect it to happen this game? Sure, there's the opportunity. Will it happen? I don't know. I hope it happens. I think that that 
if it does and and uh, he can kind of be a reliable option in this game, then you know I, I'm feeling pretty good about our chances. I I think that it should be a little tighter than four and a half points if that happens. But for right now, he hasn't given us anything. You're right. So it's totally going to be a case of Colin, Jermaine, Caleb Daniels just draining the tank. I mean, they kind of have to. You don't you don't you don't have a choice anymore. So you know. I, th I think that even if we just do just do that and stick to those guns, we do have a chance. It maybe is a lesser chance than if we had Justin Moore, obviously, but you kind of have to play with what you got here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. thankfully, yeah. we have one of the best guards in the country in Colin and Jermaine, who's suddenly finding his stride in the tournament at the perfect time. So I think that you could lean, lean on these guys, and uh, that might be what Jay has to do. And be beyond the emptying the tank thing you guys mentioned, no better way... Uh, to separate yourself from this Kansas team than to actually than, than shot making. Um, you shot 29% from the floor, 23% from three against Houston. Um, not much better against Michigan, 37% uh, from the floor. Well, obviously a little better. But uh, you're going to have to shoot much, 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 much better as a team to make up for some of what you're giving up athletically with losing just more. And, uh, yeah, I but I, I just want to say this. Um, Villanova just played an Elite Eight game against the num what were they f number four net ranked team, Houston? Yeah, number four. They just played an Elite Eight game. They didn't trail for the entire game. They led for 39 minutes and 30 seconds. I, I don't care how poorly the other team shot the ball, how poorly they played, whatever. That's incredible. And I know, obviously, losing Justin Moore is hurt, but these kids have shown this March that this is a team to be reckoned with. This is a force to be reckoned with. Yes, you're missing a key cog, but the culture component that Danny brought up, I think, is going to be absolutely instrumental for them. Uh, you talk about, like, sideline reporters talk about it all the time when they talk about Villanova. These kids are so calm. They're so composed. They know they play Villanova basketball. They know they, they're playing. They, they have this culture, this calmness, this sense of presence, this experience ingrained in them. And I think that this Villanova team, even though they're so thin, is best prepared to take on a loss like this simply because of the whole attitude culture. I think the experience. That, like, the experience you know, the as Tom well. Tom Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, <clears throat> they've been playing together for four years. So at the end of the game, if you're in a close one, like for example, on Saturday, Villanova had to, as Nick said, Villanova led wire to wire. But there were multiple stretches late where Houston made run after run after run, cut it to two. The game was in Houston, so, you know, it was pretty much a Houston home game, red everywhere, crowd getting into it, Villanova's on the ropes, and <clears throat> you get Colin Gillespie, hasn't scored all game, comes in, bangs in a jumper. They have, they have a team full of winners, a team full of experienced players that are going to make clutch plays down the stretch. So if Villanova gets into a close game against Kansas, gets into a close game against Duke, gets into a close game against North Carolina, I will take Villanova. They have the experience. They have winners on their team down the stretch. I think they're going to make winning plays, and – I don't feel I I don't see the whole negative outlook from oh we lost Justin Moore like we're going to New Orleans just to you know say we played in the Final Four like give me one reason why Villanova can't win the whole thing why not us why, why not, not us why not us why not us so I think <clears throat> the campus has to be a little more like just in talking to people most people are like Justin Moore Justin Moore Justin Moore I get it I just feel like you got to move on focus on Kansas focus on the players that are still out there healthy and. Just let's go, Cavs. We like how Foreman. I think we can get it done. Yeah, and one thing to kind of praise what we've been doing so far, just to bring some more positive light, 
I mean, even in a poor shooting performance against Houston, we went 15 for 15 from the the free free throw throw line. line. Yep. Which is huge, especially in March. And, you know, Kansas, their game against U-Miami, they won by 26, but they went 50% from the line. (laughs) You know, 13 for 26. And if we go 50% from the line versus Houston, we're simply losing the game. So that is definitely a storyline to watch against Kansas. I mean... They're not a terrible free throw shooting team. I think they're at like 72% as a team, which obviously isn't great, but you know, it's serviceable. They're probably not going to shoot 50% again. But if we can just edge in there, you know, it helps. Yeah, they so shoot it's yes. little things. Yeah, 72% as a team, which yeah. I think is probably a little above average, about average, a little above average. If I had to guess, I'd say it's a little above average for a college team. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they announcers, they try to announce their jinx every single time. But every single time we look at the free throw line, they're like, best shooting free throw team all time. Best shooting free throw team all time. 1980. Like, the 1981 Harvard. It's 1981 Harvard and then Oral Roberts from last year. I only know that because they show the graphic five times a game. Yep. Uh, so going to have to rely on your strengths, what you're good at. And obviously, Villanova is best at that. So going to have to continue to make free throws. I love the announcer jinx box. I feel like every time they say it. Kale Daniels missed. Yep. <laughs> Kale Daniels missed Justin Morris. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I also agree, John. I, I thought that the four-point or four-and-a-half-point spread was a little taller than I than I expected. Um, obviously, Vegas respects Kansas. Kansas has to be one of the hotter teams in America. In that second half against Miami, they look like one of the best teams in the country. Um, I mean, they're one seed for a reason. Big mm-hmm. 12 champs, in my opinion. Big 12's the best conference in the country. Yeah. So, to be able to go through that schedule playing, you know, from top to bottom, that conference just has r- really good teams. Like, I think West Virginia was the, the last team in our conference that even you see a team like TCU who yep. gave Arizona all they could handle, probably should have beat them. Big 12 is a great conference. Yep. This is battle-tested. It's going to be tough. But, I mean, if we're going to get into predictions here, uh, I mean, I'm trying to remove as much bias as possible, but I just think – Kansas is a bum squad. <laughs> even though I just no phrased, bias, you know, I <laughs> bum squad. As a uh, as a, one of the best teams in the country, I just I just don't respect them. They're considered a blue blood. And Bill Self is considered one of the best coaches of all time, but he's only won one championship. And if Mario Chalmers doesn't hit that one of the luckier shots in the history of the NCAA tournament, Bill Self sticks out his hand and doesn't have a ring on it. But yeah, Kansas is you know the number one preseason team in the country every Pretty single year. season. And it's just uh, I actively root against Kansas. So in this game, um, I don't want to say it's personal for me because I really don't have any rivalry or affiliation with Kansas. But I hate their program. (laughs) Removing all bias. In in summary, I think Villanova hasn't really shot the ball well at all in the tournament, maybe outside of the Delaware game. So with the way they've shot it against Houston and uh, Michigan, I think Villanova is one of the better three-point shooting teams in the country. I expect Villanova to come out. Firing, but one thing that I don't necessarily know if this is true or not, but a lot of people talk about it that in football stadiums in the Final Four, because there's like the basket, like the angle of the basket with so many people there or something, uh, the three point shooting percentage is down. We're gonna throw that out the window. How about a repeat of 2018 coming out? How to end a Final Four game in five minutes? Yeah, let's do that again. So I think Gillespie, you can't go, you gotta shoot the ball more than six times, first off. And you gotta go. You, you, you gotta make more than one shot. If Gillespie mm-hmm. can hit four threes, Sammy can get you a couple. Kale Daniels keep playing like he like he has been playing yep. the past month. I don't yeah. see any reason why Villanova can't win. So I'm gonna take Villanova in a close one. Yeah. Um. To your point about Kansas being one of the hottest teams in the country, in I believe late February, 
um, Kansas lost back-to-back games to Bal- at home against Baylor and then at TCU. And then their next game, they were down in the second half at home against TCU with eight minutes left, and they have not looked back since. Um, beating Texas in the regular season finale, winning the Big 12 tournament, and now going to the Final Four in the NCAA tournament. They are playing their best basketball at the right time. Uh, Abaji is going to be a lottery pick, as Danny mentioned. Christian Braun is one of the more efficient scorers in the country, shooting 50% as a guard. Yeah. Uh, he he's going to be a really tough match because I think he I think he has size too. I'm not sure. But uh, Christian Braun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's six six, so that's gonna be a really de- that's the kind of guy you'd really like just to have Justin Moore to guard, but you don't, so you got to turn the page and adjust. Uh, he's uh, yeah, so this is a tough matchup. If <laughs> I don't know if I'm a I'm removing all bias as I think I can remove all bias a little more effectively than Danny just did right there, but uh, I don't know. I if I'm forced to make a prediction, I'm. Going to be the pessimist rain cloud. That's going to take the Kansas Jayhawks to go to the national championship game. But please, for the love of God, prove me wrong. For the love of God, Villanova, prove me wrong, please. But uh, yeah. I, I think the lack of depth in this, I think Villanova is going to go to the locker room ahead. And then the lack of depth in the second half is what's going to win the game. For yeah, Kansas. so you're thinking like a Purdue or who else did we play that Purdue, was? Purdue, UCLA. UCLA. UCLA, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, yeah. Danny, you're talking about three-point shooting in the big football stadiums. And one thing to note about Kansas I was reading was, um, and I kind of fact-checked it, their three-point defense is actually pretty good. I mean, I don't know what how much of this comes down to missing open shots too, but against Miami took 21 attempts and hit three of them for 14% uh, when Kansas last played them. Providence, let's see, they took 23 attempts and hit four of them for a nice 17%. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But before that, Creighton shot forty percent. So I mean, I, it's it could be streaky. It could be the teams. It could be Kansas's defense actually being kind of what it's hyped yeah. up to be. Probably a little bit. Of probably both. a little bit of both. Or you could look at it. There, a team is due for a really big three point performance <laughs> against against them in the past couple of games. So that is a thing to keep in mind. I don't. I'm not worried at all about Collins' volume. Like he, he took three or six shots, shots the last yeah. game, but you know. He's the clear and cut number one option now. Yeah. He's ding- he was dinged up too, yeah, and against up. a team that is basically designed to guard him. Yeah, and I mean, pretty much every website that I've gone on and looked at predictions for says Kansas by five in one way or another. But I'm personally going to go against those, and probably in a biased way, if I was in a completely neutral set of like mindset looking at these two teams, I might take Kansas. But I got to go with the Wildcats in March against Kansas, especially. Mm-hmm. In the twenty, in the twenty or the two thousands, so um, the second millennium, third millennium, third millennium, third millennium. Third millennium. Yep. So I'm gonna go with the cats. I'm not gonna say a score, but I just gotta go with them. Uh, I went from I went with them from the beginning, and it's been going so far. It's been working for so you. well. So um, I don't want to break yeah. tradition here since it's been working. So let's go cats. Let's go cats. Um, and one thing though is, Jay Wright is so clear. And far ahead of Bill Self as a coach, that um, obviously that that doesn't change regardless of the more injury. I have a lot, I have a lot of faith in his ability to come up with design uh, designs to the game plan changes, uh, having a week to prepare after just more injury. And I have so much more faith in him to create in-game adjustments versus Bill Self. So 
I think if Villanova wins, it's going to be a lot due to coaching and a lot due to shot making, which I know sounds kind of silly. Yeah. You know? If they make shots, don't win the game. It's kind of silly. I, I don't think he's a – I don't hate him as much as you do, but I don't think he's in the upper echelon with Jay Wright in yeah. terms of current coaches. And I know one of my friends had this take, and I don't really know what to make of it. They said that Justin Moore might be arguably the most just talented player on the team, but he doesn't really – he plays like the least style of Villanova basketball, basketball out of all the players. So by – you know, I brought up maybe addition by subtraction, and I don't want to say that we're going to get better if Justin Moore is off the team by any means. I think that we're going to be objectively a worse team when he's off the floor. But maybe we can play like a completely Villanova style of basketball against Kansas. With um, I know Caleb Daniels. Like you think of Caleb Daniels, like he's completely bought into the system that Jay Wright has. He plays pretty much exactly like the type, like the player that Jay Wright wants, apart for some kind of dumb offensive fouls. But you know, you play aggressive. So. I wonder if that system will make itself clear on Saturday. We, only time will tell, but that could also be something to look for. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of see what your friend was saying, just because he, Justin Moore, I, I would say, is probably the most like one-on-one style player. On yeah, the yeah. So I kind of agree with that, but um, it's going to be important for – I just think it's going to come down to, to Villanova making shots because Kansas has a ton of offensive firepower. One guy that we haven't mentioned is the transfer from Arizona State. Yeah, Remy Martin. Martin. Mm-hmm. He's been having a hell of a tournament so far. So I think if Villanova's going to win, I don't think they're going to be able to win in like a grind it out. They, have they, have they won their last two games? I think they're going to have to shoot you know, around 40% from three, around you know, 45 to 50% from the field. Going to have to have a good shooting night. Probably going to have to score north of, north, north of 70 points. Mm-hmm. But if Villanova shoots the ball well, I don't see any reason yeah, why. Exactly. And also, this is the Kansas offense is, has been high-powered, especially of late. Um, but Villanova takes the game and just absolutely slows it to a crawl. Yep. Uh, I, they're one of the f- slowest teams in terms of pace in the country, and it clearly works for them. So I don't... But I agree that it can't be a rock fight to the degree the last two games were. But you might not even need to score 70 to win this game. You could win this. I could see Villanova winning this game 65 to 61 and just really slowing down the pace. Yeah, look, uh, Kansas' game against Providence was 66 61. So flip the script on that. And that's the kind of game that I think Villanova can win. It's much slower pace, um, but you have to make shots more so than you did against Michigan and certainly more so than you did against Houston. But. I, I picked as I said as I I'm not gonna renege on my Kansas pick, but I I think there's a very good chance I could be proven wrong, and I hope that I am. Um, I want to move on to just talking about the tournament in general, the second weekend in general, um, and I think you you have to start with um, another year for Gonzaga, another one seed, and another trip home without national championship, and this time a trip home without even making it to the Elite Eight, losing in the Sweet Sixteen to Arkansas. Um, I was watching this game, and I was very surprised. I thought, obviously, Timmy and Chet Holmgren are the two best players on the floor, and uh, when the opponent has best players, the third best player on the floor, you're going to win an overall majority of the time. But I think we've been talking – we've I've been talking off-air a lot about this, that guard play tends to win in March, and um, can't, Gonzaga didn't have, like, a dominant guard this year like they did in Jalen Suggs last year. 
And uh, I don't know what it's going to take for this team to get over the hump because I think they have one win against the top three seed in the tournament in the past uh, however Since 2001. Many years. Yeah, yeah, they've played 13 top three seeds, and they've, they're have they 1-12. in 12. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, I mean, you talk, like clearly they're one of the best teams in the country. During the regular season, they played a brutal non-conference schedule, and they beat the other best teams in the country. But I don't know, maybe there's something to be said for – playing in your cupcake conference for three months of the year leading up to the tournament and then trying to have it turn it back on against premier competition because this is this has been a great team for a long time they should have more than one win against the top three seeds in, in the last 20 years yeah nick you told me this but you know gonzaga really packs their schedule at the beginning of the season like they're at a conference just to kind of get those quality wins in but then you go 20 games playing against byu and st mary's like and those are the those are the tough games those are the tough games you who else do you have in there? Like Pacific or something? Uh, Pepperdine, no, Pepperdine, San Francisco. Yeah, the West Coast Con- And this was the best the West Coast Conference has been in a long time, too. Yeah, but, but then you compare it to teams that go far. You've got teams like Nova, like Kansas, like UNC. You're consistently running into top-tier talent just through your conference, through the through the season. And sure, if you're Gonzaga, you can go 20-0 um, in conference play or whatever, how many games you play in that conference. But all of a sudden, you have to play... To win a national championship, you have to play and beat six top tier teams in a row. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, if you never face that in the entirety of the regular season or like even at any regular interval, like you're just not going to be able to do it. I don't care how much talent you have. You could, I mean, you have Chet Holmgren on your team. He's one of the most interesting players to ever enter college basketball. Um, one of the most interesting prospects, a complete unicorn. And you have G- Drew Timmy, a guy who's completely battle tested. He's been with Gonzaga for however many years now, five. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty much all you can want out of a big guy. And, um, you know, on paper, they're just so good, but then they, they're like a third-game exit pretty much every tournament. Just Yeah, and I think a lot of people, after the first weekend, kind of saw this coming. Um, I mean, listen, Georgia State, um, I can't name you one player on Georgia State, and Georgia State was down two with 12 minutes left. Uh, that they should not have hung around like they did. Gonzaga couldn't; they couldn't box out against that team. They could not clear clear rebounds. And then Memphis up ten early on them. They needed a big comeback to take down Memphis. They were not playing well. They never found their groove in this tournament. Uh, I think they trailed almost the entire game against Arkansas. Um, not entirely sure, but probably it was a pretty close game. It was a close game. It was. Uh, it was kind. Of, it was a close game, but. They fell behind with about 15 minutes left to go in the second half, and that was the last time they had the lead. So while close, Arkansas led for that entire time. I do want to say I've been very high on Arkansas basketball all year. And on our last show when we went through our predictions, I I said to Nicholas off the air that I believed that I said Arkansas was going to win the game outright, and I went back and I checked, and I was correct. So I went 4-4 in our predictions from last week. Pick North Carolina to beat UCLA. Broads, UCLA, Pac-12, 20. Oh, wait. I, sorry, Excuse I do have to say one thing. How good is the Big Ten been? Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, what a comment. The other dominant uh, Big Ten, just Purdue looks really good against, you know, powerhouse St. <laughs> and then um, who was the other? Oh, Michigan uh, against Villanova. But, I mean, Purdue, man. Honestly, the fact that Purdue was, what were they, six and a half point underdogs, and they were able to pursue <laughs> like, five stars all over the floor, and then, it's not like Purdue has Jaden Ivey, uh, a lottery pick, and nine foot two, Jack Eady. Uh, 
so that was, that was awesome. <laughs> I was happy. Purdue looked really yeah. good. So hats off to the Big Ten. Can't wait to have them have uh, three one seeds again next year. Not, make, not have one team make it to the Final Four. So the Big Ten is just another great year of the tournament. So props to them and what a conference. But uh, now that we're off the Big Ten narrative. I uh, back to Gonzaga. I just think I kind of agree with you, John. It is tough to like load up your non-conference schedule and be playing all these great teams. I think they played Duke. Duke, UCLA, Alabama, Texas, yeah. Texas Tech. Texas Tech, UCLA. Um, yeah, so it's a bunch of really strong uh, non-conference teams. But then you go for you know two and a half months of playing a lot weaker competition, and then you're just supposed to turn it back on again come tournament time. And I personally thought Gonzaga was the best team in the country all year, but even in their conference tournament, I mean, they kind of struggled for a little bit against San Francisco, I think, in the semis, and then just didn't look that great against St. Mary's. Then you see in the fir- in the first round game is Nick said against Georgia State where they couldn't really get a rebound. I mean that game was tied with like 14 minutes left until Gonzaga just went on like a 20 nothing run, and then Memphis had them up 10 at half. So it's important to be playing your best ball at the right time. And I'm, unfortunately, I just don't think Gonzaga was this year. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't think we can. Last year's Gonzaga team was one of the best college basketball teams of all time. Time. Yep. They just caught. Ba- I don't want. To, I mean Baylor was also probably one of the better teams of all time. They were phenomenal. And Gonzaga played the worst game of the year, and Baylor played their best game of the year. And I know we don't want to focus on last year, but Gonzaga has clearly shown they have the, the potential to win a national championship. And I don't know if you guys remember when North Carolina beat them uh, in the title game the year after the Chris Jenkins shot. It's a lot of questionable officiating down the stretch. I personally think Gonzaga got robbed. Um, so that team was, you know, one, one questionable call away from winning a title. So I do eventually think Mark Few will get over the hump, just not this year. He's a, Hall, he's a first bat Hall of Famer. Unbelievable coach. And the fact that I was just thinking about this the other day, like he's recruiting to Spokane, Spokane Washington. Washington in the West Coast Conference and is consistently getting like Chet Holmgren is the number one player in the country. He's yep. Number one yep. in the draft. And he's convincing Chet Holmgren to go to Gonzaga and play Pacific twice a year instead of going to Duke. Duke yeah. I mean, it's re- so he has to be a phenomenal recruiter. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm bummed for Gonzaga. I, I kind of always root for them in the tournament. I, I kind of thought this may have been the, the year this year, but yep. just weren't playing great ball down the stretch, and Arkansas made him pay. Yep, they did, and does that take anything away from the Hogs, who are one of the better, who are one of the better teams in the country all year? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and uh, I think they will eventually get over the hump, but uh, I, I know like the, the officiating, yes, in that 2017 game, but I think last year was their best chance so far, obviously. Yeah. And they couldn't do it. And one thing which I was just thinking about last night um, is I think of like the four major sports professionally, and then you factor in like college football and college basketball. I believe the NCAA tournament is the hardest to win. But let me explain what I'm saying. Like the best team wins the the least amount of times in college but, basketball. But yeah, because you got the most teams in the field. Makes sense. Yes, but like it's just basketball in general. Like. In the NBA, it's seven-game series. Yep. So, for example, the games that I think of are like Carson Edwards against Virginia. That is one of the most impressive college basketball wins I've ever seen. The fact that Virginia was able to overcome Carson Edwards going nuclear, incapable of missing a shot, doing Kemba Walker's step-backs from 30 feet, banking him in, making three after three after three, setting an NCAA tournament record for most threes in a game. And Virginia was able to overcome that and still win. So... In, in basketball, the one, like, neutralizer for an upset is three-point shot. Mm-hmm. And 
there's times where other teams get hot and you're not playing great defense and you're leaving them open. That's on you. you got to get out on shooters. But when you're putting a hand up and you're contesting these shots and they're still making them, there's nothing you can do but tip your cap. So it's just like Gonzaga has been the best team in college basketball like numerous times. And it's just in the tournament, one game, you play a good team and you have an off night, you're yep. bounced. It's yep. unfortunate, but it's the it's the reality of, uh, of, of the current NCAA tournament. And another thing is, you don't think the Gonzaga players, and Mark Few especially, hear the narrative that Gonzaga is this joke artist and can't get over the hump, and when they're down against Arkansas, you don't think that's going through their head? I mean, they're probably playing a little more nervous because everyone says Gonzaga chokes, Gonzaga can't win in March, can't get over the hump, etc. So, I I feel bad for the Zags. I, I was really pulling for them, but I just think um, they're going to get over the hump eventually. I yep. Yeah. Uh, John, anything to add? Um. Yeah, I, I I agree that these past two years have probably been their best chance to win in kind of a while. Um, I'm looking at their recruiting this year, and they're third in the West Coast Conference. They have one recruit who's a three-star, and that's it right now for 2022. Um, 85th in the country just because of that. So, I mean, and who are you losing? You have to lose Timmy, and you have to lose Holmgren, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna be t- the team that they were. But I trust Mark Few. He is a good coach. I agree with everything you're saying about bringing kids out to Spokane, Washington, Washington just yeah, to seriously. go ball in the West Coast Conference. So, um, you know, it is kind of a shame that they aren't able to win it. Like, you can you can count, like, winning your conference tournament as being, um, like, kind of a goal for the season. But in the end, you want to win it all. Uh, like, we won the Big East, and, like, I was ecstatic about that. But you kind of have the mentality of jobs not finished, and then – it's a one-game elimination for six yep. games if you're lucky to go six games. Yep. So that's the nature of the beast, and the truth hurts sometimes. But uh, that's that's how it is. That's yeah. all I gotta say. I mean, it's also why it's yeah, the it's best sporting event great. of the year, in yeah. my opinion. You got St. Peter's. Yeah, St. Peter, like St. Peter's, been Kentucky, and now yeah, you could say St. Peter's is a worse team than Purdue, so Purdue should just automatically win. Yeah, and like you know, that's that is like. If you want to reward the best teams for having a good regular season, that's what you do. You would just give the title to Gonzaga before even playing any games, but that's Absolutely. not how it is. Not how it is. So, and uh, just speaking of St. Peter's, I know the end was a little anticlimactic there with UNC, just kind of just being bigger, stronger, and making more shots. But what a run! I really hated their matchup against Purdue for them because I thought, who's going to guard Jaden Ivy? And Zach Eady is ten feet tall, as Danny mentioned. But uh, they really did a great job against both those guys. I was shocked, even pr- probably even more shocked than I was that St. Peter's won. I was shocked that Jaden Ivey had nine points and how well they guarded him. And I three of, three of those points were with 15 seconds left, like fading, just absolute desperation, miracle three. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were Absolutely phenomenal against him. I was shocked to see that he wasn't a little more aggressive, but got to give the St. Peter's defense a lot of credit. And Zach Eady uh, is one of my least favorite players in college basketball, simply because if you're seven feet tall, if like Big God guy, gifted you, if God gifted you like you know a seven foot tall frame, like you got to spend time in the gym with post moves and practicing laps, all that, and getting in shape. And this guy does not have a post move that he could commit to memory and replicate. And it just disgusts me when you have a guy who's that tall and has that kind of opportunity that just has absolutely no skill like he does. 
and that's that kind of showed in that game against Purdue. Uh, their uh, backup center, number fifty at Thompson, I think. Williams. Williams. Williams yeah. Uh, he was much, much, much better. Yeah, well, he actually plays like a center. Yeah. Like, he has he actually, a center yeah. skill set. He's, like, he's not as big, but he actually has, like, basketball skill. Um, So, like, I like people say a lot, like, oh, if this guy was, you know, six foot instead of seven foot, he'd be, like, working, like, at McDonald's. If Zach Eady was even, I think, six eight, like, he would he would be working at McDonald's. Like, he, that is how little basketball skill he has, and it, like, drives me nuts. That he playing, he's playing Division One basketball in the Big Ten for a premier program. Uh, but he's kind of like a worse Taco Fall yeah. in a way. Like Taco <laughs> Fall, he carried that. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the game when they were. I forget if they were an eight seed or a nine seed. They, but were, they were going up against Duke and they yep. Zion Williamson Duke and they took him to the wire. Like, yeah. And, yeah. Well, well, he he carried that team. Yeah, like, he was actually skilled and like able to use his size <laughs> to his advantage. <laughs> Not for the NBA enough, but you know. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Zach Eady either, but like you guys have to realize when you're that tall, it's hard. Yeah, to it's move. not like, easy. It's harder to move. Yeah. Like if he was smaller, he would probably be more skilled. Like it's hard to move. Like literally, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like he would run up and down the floor, and Purdue would turn it over, and then he has to up and pu- turn around and up and pu- <laughs> yeah. Up and down. The conditioning is definitely due to the size. I agree, but. Seven footers in the NBA have a post move that they can go to and replicate again and again and again, and he doesn't, and it makes me physically sick. I guess. I mean, I don't know if he's an NBA prospect. No, he's not. <laughs> Still a good college player. Um, should we talk about North Carolina Duke, the other semifinal? Uh, yeah. I just want last night on St. Peter's, uh, Shane Holloway already accepting the Seton Hall job that uh, made yeah, a lot so. of sense for him to go to uh, about about probably half an hour before our show started. I'm um, really happy for him boom, going back to where he played his college ball. Um, He'll be a hard guy to root against. Hard, hard guy to root against. I think uh, Seton Hall is going to be a uh, get some much better recruiting classes in the next coming years. New Jersey is a really underrated hotbed for basketball talent, I think. And I think uh, Holloway is going to be capturing a lot more of uh, – that share of basketball talent than his predecessor at Seton Hall. So, congratulations to him. Not looking forward to seeing him twice a year in conference, but uh, obviously a huge promotion, and uh, he really earned it. Um, yeah, and uh, just also really quickly want to mention um, games that Danny and I were fortunate enough to attend uh, in the Sweet 16 games for UCLA, um, UCLA and UNC. That game was absolutely incredible back and forth the entire night, and uh, Caleb Love had one of the best halves I've ever seen a college player have, let alone in person. He had 27 yeah. in half, during the second half, uh, carried that team to a win over a great UCLA team, and then uh, obviously a less intimidating matchup against St. Peter's to go to the Final Four. But uh, as the Hollywood script writers and the, the money printers at the NCAA, uh, I think could only have prayed for, the other Final Four game is UNC and Duke. One last time for Coach K against the Tar Heels, and uh, I didn't. I can't believe that this is the first time they have played in the tournament. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because they're usually both pretty high seeds, so they would play late most years. But uh, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the most the best rivalry in the history of the sport. This is the first time they've ever played in the tournament, and it's coming in the final. Final Four, Coach K's last year. But I just think from. 
North Carolina's perspective, you have the opportunity to beat Mike Krzyzewski in his last game at Cameron Indoor. North. And, and now retire him. And retire him yeah. in the Final Four. Like, whoever went, this is why I'm like, I'm, I want to focus on the North Carolina Duke game, but this is kind of why I'm more optimistic about Villanova, because the emotional recovery that you have to <laughs> make go through after playing in a Duke North Carolina game is like cannot be understated. So whoever wins that game, if Villanova's fortunate enough to beat Kansas, is going to like again, it's the final four. So you're already given 120%, but you're given even more because it's North Carolina Duke. So that's why I think it, it maybe favors the winner of yeah. Villanova Kansas. But yeah. just to focus on the North Carolina Duke game, um as I said, North Carolina's been one of the better teams in college basketball the past two months. Um, they've been playing some very good ball. Armando Baycott is <clears> – <throat> I said he was one of the best big men in the country, but I think just, you can just scratch the big man. I mean, when you're averaging 17 points and 13 boards, I think you have to be one of the better players in America. And if Caleb Love plays like he did second half against UCLA, Duke's definitely got their hands full because if North Carolina is uh, making their threes, they're going to be very tough to beat. And their white guy, Brady Maniac. Manic. Manic. He, if he's not – if he's knocking no. shots down, not knocking down shots, um, Duke is going to be in trouble. I think, obviously, Vegas likes Duke. I think they're four, four-and-a-half-point favorites. But uh, Paolo Bonchero is the best player on the floor, potential number one uh, overall draft pick. So there's a lot of offensive firepower in this game. I think um, one of the keys has to be uh, if Duke can, can rebound. Cause we yep. all know. One of the hallmarks of North Carolina's program is crashing the glass, specifically crashing the offensive glass, getting extra possessions, offensive board after offensive board. I don't know the exact number, but I believe – I get it, it was against St. Peter's, but I think Baycott had like 21 or 22 rebounds. So I think – I get it was against St. Peter's, but, you know, us like they they contained Sheep. Well, they actually yeah. didn't contain Sheep, but they beat Sheep, and they beat Zach Eady, and they beat some great rebounders. So. Yeah. I think Williams is the name of uh, Duke's big man. He's got his hands full with, um, with Baycott. I think it's going to be yeah. a hell of a game. If we're, uh, I'll go into a prediction. Um, I'm going to take Duke in a close one, high scoring. If, if Villanova's probably going to want to slow down the pace against Kansas, so if Villanova plays to their style and they slow it down, probably going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be complete opposite style. Yep. Get up and down the floor, run, push it, push it, go, go, go. Um, should be very fun to watch, but. I think overall Duke's just a slightly better team, and I think having the best player just goes so far, and Panchero is, is the best player on the floor. I'm going to take Duke in a close one, but I think it's going to be another Duke-North Carolina uh, instant classic. Yeah, I think it's going to be a complete coin flip. These are these two programs probably know each other better than maybe any other two programs in the all of college basketball just because it is – I'm not even going to say arguably it is the – like biggest rivalry in college basketball so you know and and that's kind of exacerbated by the fact that north carolina i don't understand how they're an eight seed or like where this level of basketball has been for the entire season like aside from now they're playing like a one seed yeah like they're playing like arguably the best team in the tournament right now um but they have beaten some good teams but I think that actually running into St. Peter's in the Elite Eight might be kind of harmful for them. Yeah. Because that game was just a complete walk in the park. It like, like St. Peter's had their fun. They went three rounds, and I mean, or four. They, they played in four games. And um, 
you know, it kind of came to an end, and that's kind of what you expected. That, like, that's really good for a 15 seed. But, you know, by by this point in the tournament, you're expecting to face some of the top-tier talent and kind of firing at all cylinders. And um, that's not to say that UNC did not follow up. Like, they weren't firing on all cylinders during that game. I mean, they mm-hmm. completely blew them out, no mercy. But still, you're not playing the, that high level of um, opponents. So now you have to go straight from St. Peter's to the Duke Blue Devils, who have arguably the number one draft pick, probably three guys on the in the top fifteen yep. you know, going up on the draft board. So it, you're not playing. So you're not playing Doug anymore. Nope. No, no, no disrespect to the Doug Dougie or buckets. anyone on that on that St. Peter's squad, but you're not playing him. So that that's probably why I'm going to give Duke the slight edge in this game, and also because I think Coach K is going to be coming back with a vengeance, especially because of his exit in the yeah. exit from Cameron Indoor. Yeah. So I'm going to take. Duke slightly, but it, it can really go anyway. All right, before my prediction, it's the top of the hour, so it's time for Station ID. Villanova University's WXVU Villanova. Online at wxvu.villanova.edu. On air at 89.1 on your FM dial, or stream us anytime, anywhere on the Radio FX app. This is Father Peter, and you're listening to V891 The Roar. So in the first game of the tournament, Duke played Cal State Fullerton, and they shot 51.7% from the floor as a team. It's really good, right? Would you guys agree? Yes. That's really yeah. good? Yeah. That's the worst they've shot so far in any game in the tournament. 51.7%. They've done better than that in all the other games, notably shooting, I believe, 71% in the second half against, uh, was that Texas Tech or Kansas? I'm sorry, Texas Tech or Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State. Michigan shooting State. 71%. Actually, no, no it was against well, shooting 71% in the second half of a game against a really, really good team. Uh, so yeah. that is number one. They are playing as good offensively as any team has played in any stretch in the country this year. And Palabang Caro, as Danny said, will be the best player on the floor. With that said, UNC is playing absolutely phenomenally right now, as everyone mentioned. I don't think that Duke has the defense and specifically the rebounding that Danny mentioned. I think offensive rebounds are going to be a huge key for North Carolina. I think it's going to be a big reason why they're going to win this game is offensive rebounding. I don't think they can, I don't think the Blue Devils can guard Caleb Love or really uh, slow down Baycott on the boards. And I think guard play wins in March. And although Paolo Bencaro will be the best player on the floor, Caleb Love will be this guard on the floor, in my opinion, the way he's playing right now. And I think that's why the Tar Heels are going to win and retire Coach K. Now, um, with that said, if Duke wins this game, the referees may as well show up to the national championship game wearing hashtag thank you Coach K shirts because Duke will be getting every single call if they can get UNC. I don't think it will be that bad against Carolina just because of the rivalry itself. But if Duke makes a national championship game, like give the refs like their Duke hoodies before the start of the game. Are you saying it's rigged? I have two questions. One, are you saying it's rigged? I'm not saying it's rigged. I'm just saying get get ready for some uh, questionable officiating if Duke makes a national championship game. Some and bias, I guess. My second question is, does that opinion have anything to do with your Duke slash Coach K hatred? I don't hate Duke. Okay. Um, I don't hate Duke that much. And uh, I think that opinion just has to do with um, – it's a it, ultimately it's a business, and that's Duke going, Coach K going out on top is a great story for the business, 
So I'd be very surprised to see uh, some not questionable officiating okay. in the national championship game should Duke get there. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I, I saw something earlier today that country singer Eric Church, who I don't know if he's a North Carolina grad, but he is a North Carolina <laughs> Canceled his concert. his sold-out concert so he can go to the game on Saturday. <laughs> Respect. This has to be Respect the most like, highly anticipated game in the history of the podcast. Yeah. Has to be. I, and just everyone, like, it's, I think it's so awesome that, like, all the Villanova students that are going for the Nova-Kansas game get to stay and watch this game after. Like, this might be the best. This has the pot- I know it's very early, but this has the potential to be the best sporting event of the year, and you're getting in essentially for free because you're paying to go to the Villanova game. For 40 bucks minus transportation. Yeah, well, transportation is uh, looking pretty hefty right now. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not nothing. But, yeah. Uh, but you're you're paying. I would look at it this way: you're paying to go to the Villanova game and all those costs, and you're getting what is probably going to be the best sporting event of the year tacked on. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's like the encore. Huh. I'm gonna be interested to see. Uh, I don't know. I I'm just very excited for this for the North Carolina Duke game just because. I kind of agree, Nicholas. I'm interested to see if like there are some questionable because the storybook ending is. Is Coach K riding off on his horse with the sixth national championship? So, I, I'm interested to see the officiating. Maybe, maybe uh, Duke and the NCAA is in the refs' pockets. I don't know. We'll see. But <coughs> North Carolina has been playing like one of the best teams in America. So Duke has their hands full. It should be a great game. I hope. I hope it's. I hope it's not a blowout. That's what. Like I hope it's comes down to the end. Yeah. Well, that and I hope we're in a good mood watching it because we're the game before. Yep. <laughs> so. I'm very happy that Villanova is the game. Carolina Duke was first. I would be like so nervous about Villanova that I wouldn't be able to enjoy the game. Yeah, it'll be over one way or another. Yeah. Um, but this should be. I mean, you're talking about whether or not you think Villanova's a blue blood. I mean, this is probably one of the most stacked Final Fours of all time in terms of program. I mean, yeah. I mean, I personally believe that Villanova is. But even if you don't, the worst program in the Final Four is Villanova. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. I think the ultimate. Final four you could have is just replace Villanova with uh, Kentucky, but I mean Villanova still. Has well, yeah, those are the textbook. Yeah. I I'd, I'd say UCLA, probably. Yeah, if it's the fifties again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, facts, John. <laughs> Throw Indiana in there facts. too. <laughs> no one cares about eighteen forty nine when John won the national championships. Me and Nicholas got in an it's argument. Big, big argument. Big um, argument about that. Yeah. I actually let's. Uh, who do you think is the greatest coach of all time, Coach K or John Wooden? Just real quick. Uh, me? Yeah. Yes, you. <laughs> uh, God. I don't know, man. That's like, it's trying to compare, it's trying to compare Babe Ruth to like Barry Bonds in Perfect, a way. John. Love that answer because it wasn't, I don't get, I get mad at Nicholas when he goes off the rails. So he didn't, it's not that you think John Wooden's the best coach. He says there's no argument for Mcchesky. It's not even close. John Wooden, John Wooden, John Wooden, John Wooden. And the thing about Nicholas is when he hates something, he lets it screw with his head slowly. <laughs> so he hates Coach K. So he won't admit I, Coach K's a good coach. I don't hate Coach K. Yes, you I, do. yes, I don't you hate do. Coach K. Yes, I do. don't hate Coach K. I just think he's a little I just Goblin. think I think he's oh, I think currently he's overrated. He, I don't think career wise he's overrated. I think currently as a coach he's overrated. And Nicholas would not listen to an argument from anyone besides John Wood. The <laughs> second thing that Nicholas said was that if Jay Wright were to beat Mike Krzyzewski in the national championship game, that all-time, historically, Jay Wright is a better coach. I said that I was starting the show that way, acknowledging that it was a boiling hot take. Um, but I think there's an argument for it. Anyway, 
Um, my my opinion. This is this is my opinion on this. Oh man. Um, what well, Coach K has coached some great players, right? Yeah. Um, Zion Williamson. I he did he win the National Player of the Year when Zion Zion did he win the National Player of the Year at Duke? Yeah. He was hurt Wait. for so long. What year? That was, that was um, freshman your freshman year. So 2018, 19. 2018, 19. Who was the National Player of the Year that year? Probably was Zion. Was it Zion? I thought it was. Can you can you? Well, I'm, I'm looking it up. All right. Um, Danny. It was Zion. It was Zion. He won the National Player of the Year. Yeah. Danny, do you know the name of that award? Is it by chance the Mike Shashevsky Award? No, Nicholas. Uh, it's it, it's the Wooden Award, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's that's all I have to say about that one. That's uh, the Naismith Award. The what, what is the one award is something. It's the Na- Naismith College Smith Player of the Year. Are two both the be- they're both best players, but they're two separate awards. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I've never thought about that. There's two most outstanding players yeah. awards. That's a little weird. I think there might even be more than there's a bunch. Associated Press, blah blah blah. Yeah, blah. yeah, that's true. But um, it, yeah, I don't even know what Nicholas. But it'll be interesting. We're, like, you should just focus on Villanova. Zion did win, by the way, just yeah. to fact check it. Um, this, uh, what were you going to keep, what were you saying about Coach K? What the, were you going to keep going on past Zion? Or was that no, that, but I was just trying to illustrate the point that it's called the Wooden Award oh, okay. in a cute roundabout way. Okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but I feel like that's a different argument, though. Like, you can't name a, you can't rename an award off after, like, someone who's still coaching. I'm just you know saying, I mean? I'm just saying, like, I'm just, I think that, there's a propensity among people in our generation to just look past um, phenomenal figures in the past in, in prior eras because they played a long time ago because they never got to watch them play or in this case watch them coach and I think that's wrong. Yeah, well, you should you obviously shouldn't look past it, but like let's be honest, if you throw Wilt Chamberlain into today's NBA and his converse, like I don't think he's even starting. To be honest with you. I like he was he was great in the era and if he came up in today's era like with the with the training like he yeah probably that, yeah would that's be that's the good, flip but, side of my argument yeah. like he look at the technology he had access to I don't know man I don't know how it came to this yeah, I don't know but I it, it 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 just it gets me angry when people just like look at like this guy won eleven this guy won ten national championships he won uh, seven in a row the, that's exactly my point like come on parody and co- that's 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 not sports. I don't want to say that, like that's college basketball has changed. Sports have changed so much since then. They won eighty eight games in a row. That doesn't happen anymore. Like happens in women's. Happens like, for UConn. UCLA was the premier program, the only school playing on national television. Every recruit in the country went to play for John Blue. When they were super teams going up against little the little sisters of the four. What actually? <laughs> question? Who snapped uh, UCLA's eighty eight game winning streak? Trivia question: Who snapped UCLA's eighty-eight? The fact that you're asking me this makes you feel like it's Notre Dame. Correct. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like seven net. They won seven national championships in a row. That's correct. That yeah. Correct? Yes. I was watching a Colin Coward uh, show yesterday, and he brought someone on. They were having the Coach K wooden argument, and one thing that uh, wooden said, or the, the the guy who was defending Coach K said that five national championships, potentially six if, if Duke wins it all this year, versus ten. The NCAA tournament was only, you only had to win four games uh, during Wooden's coaching career. So that's also an element, but they're both two phenomenal coaches. Um, and yeah, Nicholas is right. The Wooden Award is named the Wooden Award for a reason, so you got to give him that. 
I'm fine. I'm fine leaving it there. I, I, and obviously Coach K is phenomenal and five championships and ability to adapt to changing from era from four year guys to one and dones deserves a lot of praise as well. Um, anyway, moving on. I think I think we've covered just about all the college basketball we could cover, and uh, I think that we're all just at this point supporting Villanova and so. uh, hoping to add another some more hardware to the trophy case and some more banners to the pavilion. But um, no matter what happens, I think it's a been it's been a successful season. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you told me Final Four before the season started, I sign up for that every time. That was a question I asked Nicholas at our pit dinner before. I think I would say the same thing. Um, John, what about you? You could have taken prior to the tournament if I said Nova goes to the Final Four but loses, or you can play play it out. Whatever happens, happens. Which one would you take? Uh, I would play it out. Really? I think especially because it's our senior year. I would. I would. Really? I would take the Final Four as well. I would rather risk it for a championship our senior year okay. on campus. Like I'm happy with He's, the final yeah, four. Yeah. Not to say that I'm I'm like not ecstatic about that. And like I'm happy that we've managed to get there like at least once in our year in our four years here, but yeah. I I would let it play out and just for the chance. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's I, I respect that. He's he's not here to take the easy way out. He's here to gamble. I like that. No, because I have like however many years left in my life for Villanova to, you know, make other final fours when I'm off campus and, and, yeah. and it, you kind of get the same experience yeah. like just being happy by yourself but if we were to win the national championship like imagine the, that night yeah. here like it's going to be crazy knock if it wood. happens yeah. yeah knock on wood <laughs> do you think the car fire by the way was related to the game at all <laughs> I explain that for the for our viewers listening. so um, Villanova alerts send out uh, emergency information to all students and every student on campus During the game with about eight minutes left in the Houston game, got a text message that said, car on fire near Bartley Hall, uh, stay away. And then later, car fire, shortly after the game ended, car fire extinguished. <laughs> I would love to know if that had anything to do with the game, because if you started rioting with eight minutes left off like four points, you you have nerves of steel, man. <laughs> like, good for you. Uh, anyway, I think we have about 15 minutes left. I'd like to use it to talk about Baseball because we've barely touched on it. NBA. And the, what? I think, I think we should go NBA. We haven't talked. What do you want to say about NBA? Just Lakers. Season's over, pretty much. We're about to go. We're going into. Yeah, I guess we. Yeah. Well, when does? Yeah, we got another week until baseball starts. When is opening day? It's. I think we'll have another is show. It April seventh. It's. Uh, I know it got kicked back a little bit. Yeah, April seventh. So we can talk. So about, we'll. Yeah, we can. We can so talk next, about baseball. Next week we'll probably. We can spend what, like a couple, some minutes. Yeah, a significant amount of time. Basketball, yeah. and then yeah. kind of going. We'll have time. We'll definitely have time okay. for um, to talk a lot about. It. So yeah, Danny, you want to talk about the NBA? Is there some you brought it up? So is there anything that you wanted to hit on? No, I feel we haven't talked about it. All, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I definitely want to hit on is hashtag year nineteen, hashtag seat eleven, uh, with the <laughs> Lakers currently on the outside looking in of the play in tournament, and. Uh, I said this before. I really can't. I I hate LeBron. Like it's not like a Coach K thing where like I'm like kind of chuffed about how he's perceived like all time. No, I just I just like straight up. I hate LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, Your opinions are brainwashed. But I can't fault him at all, at all, at all. Really, for how he's played on the court this season, he's been phenomenal. But this is the team he hand selected. This is the team that he wanted to play with that he put together, 
and it's not working at all. Clearly, they are 13 games under 500 and somehow behind the San Antonio Spurs, um, led by NBA future NBA Hall of Famers Dejounte Murray and uh, Jacob Purtle. So, like, listen, I again, I can't fault him for how he's played, but this is why you have general managers, and I think this is why, and it's not just with LeBron. I think players in the NBA need to have less say over how superstars in the NBA need to have less say about how moves are made because if you let a, a player it's like LeBron's job is to is to play like I'm not I'm not faulting him like his his job is to go play like the general manager's job is to assemble the team they need to work together but they need to work separately in their own functional silos and I think when you allow it to bleed over like the Lakers have allowed this to bleed over I know LeBron is obviously a historically great player but I think disaster can happen disaster has and Honestly, one thing I'm really shocked by is the par- the disparity between home and road records. I know the Lakers get one of the better home crowds in the NBA, but they're actually they're two games over 500 at home. They're 20 and 18, but they are 11 and 26 on the road, and that really surprises me. That a team I believe is the oldest team in the NBA, most experienced, that the home road is having that much of an impact. Yeah, that is interesting. But going back to the, I don't know how much I believe the whole. Oh, come on, Danny. No, I really don't. Like, does he have a say? Yeah, just like Patrick Mahomes has a say say with what the Chiefs do. I don't necessarily believe, like, the whole LeBron handpicked this team narrative. From what I've been reading, uh, Rob Palenka, who is the GM, if you look up who is the general manager of the Lakers, his name will come up. He's been getting ripped for how he's handled this, uh, this team. I read something that... So, obviously, a lot of people wanted the Lakers to trade Russell Westbrook at the trade, de- at the trade deadline, and that he was receiving calls from numerous teams that were interested in him, and he wouldn't pick up the phone. So, I don't really understand why LeBron is the only one getting the criticism for, quote-unquote, handpicking this team, because I don't necessarily believe that. I think that's a bunch of Instagram nonsense. Um, I think the GM of the Lakers is the GM of the Lakers, the guy that is getting paid millions of dollars to be the general manager of the Lakers. I don't think a historic franchise like the Los Angeles Lakers would be paying Rob Plinka however many million dollars per year if LeBron is just their GM. So I think that's a lazy take from Instagram and social media. I do not buy into it one bit. Um, but the Lakers have a terrible basketball team. LeBron James has been one of the best players on the planet all season. He's leading the NBA in scoring. Uh, so they got they, they got to do work going into next year. I think it's time to cut ties with Anthony Davis. He's like much like Brian Antoine is a straw. Um, you have to get rid of him because he can't stay healthy. Um, and you got LeBron, who's I don't even how old is LeBron again? Thirty-seven now. Thirty-seven. When he's you're relying on him to play, you know, thirty-eight minutes a game or whatever, and score thirty points. I mean, you got to give him respect for his conditioning that he's able to do that. Yep. But injuries are just going to naturally happen. He can't be their their the only guy that can just go off on any night. You got, you got to get some help. Uh, the Russell Westbrook experiment, as soon as they signed, I knew it was going to be a disaster. He's a bum. You got to get rid of him. He deserves all the criticism he's getting. Uh, but yeah, the Lakers looks like they're going to write on the bubble. I think they're tied with the Spurs to make the playoffs. They're tied, the Spurs of the tiebreaker. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers even want to make the playoffs because I don't know what they're going to do without Anthony Davis uh, if they even get in. So it'll be interesting to see if they make it. But this yeah. will be the first time. Actually, no, the Lakers didn't make it uh, LeBron's first year. But 
LeBron doesn't miss the playoffs very often. Yeah. Um, I think you. it's an interesting point to make with AD because you're absolutely right that he has not been able to stay on the floor at all. Uh, there's times in Los Angeles, but I, I mean, listen, like he's been the missing, he's been the, the key differentiator for this team. I mean, he's played one full season out of during LeBron's four years in LA, he's played one full season. That one full season, Lakers won the championship. So, I, I mean, I don't know, like, I, it's tough to say you got to live with this level of injury, but you got to, it's tough to move a player that's that talented and you have won a championship with. Uh, when he's been playing well, and uh, yeah, I I know LeBron's I like I'm obviously impressed by like LeBron's scoring t- numbers, leading the NBA in scoring. But when Russell Westbrook was in Oklahoma City and stat padding, he got called out for it. I we we got called out LeBron a little bit because I the the number of games where he's in in the fourth quarter and they're down a billion points, and it's just I need to get my 25 to catch Kareem. It's <laughs> happened a, a fair number of times this season. Yeah, I want to go back to your – I think both you guys are kind of right about it being partly the GM's fault, partly LeBron's. Because, sure, LeBron does have his say. And I think that, honestly, basketball and uh, – yeah, basketball out of the big four sports is probably the one where the players can have the most mm-hmm. level of individual control. And, like, if if football had that kind of control, like, you would think that Patrick Mahomes would be changing the team as much as he could, like as much as LeBron might be right now. But – it's not completely LeBron's fault, in my opinion. I think that the Lakers, especially since the turn of the of the 21st century, have been a team that just goes out and kind of buys the best players. Like you think of Shaquille O'Neal, Pau Gasol. Um, they went out and got Steve Nash near the end of his career. Um, Dwight Howard as Dwight well. Howard, as like, well as that worked out. Yeah, and and like you've seen, they've just been doing this over the past couple of years. And now you have, like, they've done it again. They got Westbrook, they got Davis, they got LeBron, and now. I'm sure LeBron, like, he does want to play with the guys that he's won Olympic medals with, so he's going to go out there and get AD. He's going to go out there and get Westbrook, and I think it's a lot easier now for him to do that just because he's on the Lakers compared to a team like the Cavs who probably prefer to build players from the ground up instead of going out and mm. just buying talent. Yeah, Yeah. so enough about the Lakers, and I think we talk about teams that actually have a chance to win the championship. Uh, in the East, uh, I mean, listen, the Boston Celtics were, like, they were – what twenty one and twenty two or something like that? Now they're, they're out of the race. And they're forty seven and twenty nine. One game out of first. The hottest team in the league. Um, I think that every team in the in the East should be terrified to play this team. Uh, I've uh, talked about Jason Tatum not being like being a star, but not a superstar before because he just wasn't consistent enough. He's found that consistency that he's always been lacking in these past couple months, and that's been the difference for the Celtics. So uh, uh, turnaround, in my opinion. You also have uh, like Al Horford refusing to age, has has been uh, helpful. And then you have guys like Jalen Brown. But um, the big the loss of uh, Robert Williams is you cannot overstate how big that is. His meniscus injury uh, that is going to be a huge problem for them in the postseason, and it could be what eliminates them should they lose. The Celtics are actually playing the Heat, who are the one seed right now. Right now. And I, if the Celtics win that game, there is a three-way tie at the top of the East between the Bucks, Heat, and themselves. Um, I think the Eastern Conference, <clears throat> if we're talking about a favorite, I think, I don't know what Ben Simmons' deal is in Brooklyn, so I don't know when he's going to actually start playing basketball again. But I'd be surprised if he does, honestly, yeah. knowing like, him. So the 
correct me if I'm wrong, but so the seven, eight, so right now that's Cavs, Nets are going to play each other. And then mm-hmm. the winner of that gets the, the two seed. Oh, so the winner of that then gets the seven. Get, gets the seven spot and plays the two seed. Okay. So there's a good chance that, as of right now, the uh, Nets are going to have to play, whether it be the Heat, Bucks, Celtics. So really good team in the first round. And I think Kevin Durant will be the best player on the floor in all those games. So I think, like, is it, and I don't know if this would sound crazy or not, but as an eight seed, I think the Nets are probably the favorite in the East. Wow. Um, I just think Kevin Durant's that good. Kyrie Irving, when now that he's figured out the, or New York has figured out the vaccine stuff, now that he can actually play. I think if they get Ben Simmons, they that's the missing defensive piece because they don't really have anyone that could uh, guard a chair on their team right now. So Ben Simmons <laughs> will, should help a lot. But I just want to go on air and say this: I've been saying all since we've started doing the show. You, if we assembled the team, us three together, and try to win a championship. We would have the same chance as the Philadelphia 76. <laughs> so James Harden is the best loser in all sports, and I will. It's unfortunate that this. I, if the Sixers do make it to like the Eastern Conference Finals, we will already have been graduated, and I won't get to have my celebration run, my moment of glory. Fear him. He's so cries like a little baby. Gets out of Houston. Oh, actually, no. Sorry. Goes to strip clubs, misses flights for games, gains post pictures of him gaining 80 pounds. <laughs> but no, he's free. He's on the Nets. Fear him. Fear him. MVP. He's home. He's with his with his players. James Harden, Kyrie, man. It'd be so fun to watch. Single-handedly cost his team the series last year against the Bucks. Kevin Durant has a legendary playoff performance, but James Harden just does what he does best and chokes when the moments, when the moments are big. Uses the restroom and the bed, if you Correct. will. Correct. Hmm. Um, but he's in a happy place, so oh, I feel so bad. I feel awesome for him, man, because I want him to win a ring so bad. Cries like a little baby, because, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe Kevin Durant and Kyrie were better players, and he can't win when he's not, you know, the guy. I, I don't know I don't know, I don't know what it's like to be a mental misery like that. But cries like a little baby, now he's now he's home. He, oh, my God, him and Embiid, man, that, that, guard, that pick and roll, they're going to be unstoppable. There is nothing more than I want than the Nets to sweep the 76ers in the playoff series. Nothing. Nothing. And Ben Simmons to just get down in his stance and lock him up. Go one for 13, but here comes the next offseason. Where is the beard going to go? He's got so much talent. He's going to cry and leave next. Maybe the uh. eight. Um, but I hate James Harden with a burning passion. Like, you hate LeBron, like you hate Coach Guy. I hate him more. I despise everything about James Harden. I am rooting, actively rooting against the 76ers. I hope they lose in the first round. I don't, if, the, if it started the day, they'd be playing the Bulls. I don't think the Bulls really have much of a shot, but I just thought it was awesome yep. that the Sixers became like the Eastern Conference title favorite when they traded for that bum. And um, I mean, yeah, that's all I have to say. Uh, yeah, hate to ran your parade there a little bit, Danny, but Ben Simmons hasn't done any work on a basketball court yet, Correct. I know. and uh, I think it's very unlikely that he comes back and plays. Really? Why? Why do you say that? Because he, I, there's six games left in the season. Oh, for the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs start. Yeah, when's he gonna like get the work? He's, in? He hasn't. He hasn't. Playoff ready. He's not even on the court yet. Like conditioning. Like I don't know when he's. Well, he's not hurt. Is, what is his? He is no. He's a back injury. Oh, yeah, back, is. back yeah. injury. Back injury. I think that's. I think he just hates yeah. playing. <laughs> he hates I, think he likes, I think he likes getting. I think he likes getting paid to just sit and like do watch whatever games. he does at home, watch games, and uh, he doesn't like putting work in at the gym. Period. Mm. 
I I've made this argument. Before. Yes, yeah. I I I kind of tend to agree with you there, John. But um, yeah, I don't think he will be healthy. Whatever. I don't think he's going to play. But at the same time, I think the Nets still have a great chance to uh, go far in the postseason with Durant. Uh, in terms of an Eastern Conference favorite, I'm going to go with the reigning champs, the Bucks. I think they they have the best big three in the NBA. Uh, with yeah, best I would say best functional big three in the NBA because I think the Nets is more theoretical uh, with Giannis, Holiday, and Chris Middleton. And uh, Giannis is just turning in an absolutely another sensational season, just an just a nightmare to guard. And I think that they're going to, I think they're going to repeat as Eastern Conference champions. And yeah, but this is the East. This is the best the East has been in a long time. You have the Nets currently on the eight line, and they're a phenomenal team. Uh, the Celtics are playing the best of any team in the NBA. The Heat are struggling a little bit right now, but they have the best record for a reason. Sixers, despite Danny's assertions, are still a really good team. And uh, yeah, the East is tough. This is going to be tough this year. John, do you have an Eastern Conference favorite? Um, it's hard to pick in the East just because I think there's some. It's so much deeper than the West is. Yeah. But um, I honestly have to go with the reigning champions here. I think the Bucks are just still the, that complete team, and uh, they're on the top for a reason. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to copy you guys, but that changes things. I was not aware of Ben Simmons' back injury. I thought he was still dealing with whatever off-court issues. But if he's not playing, then I would probably agree with you guys that the Bucks are the favorite, I think. Um, Nicholas, I love that take. They have the best big three in the NBA. I think that's probably accurate. Um, Acumpo is, you know, one of the best players in the league. Acumpo. Um, and Drew Holiday, obviously phenomenal defender. He can lock down your your the opponent's best player. Chris Middleton, phenomenal offensive score. So, I think the Bucks are. Uh, if if Simmons is not playing, I think the Bucks are the favorite to get back to the finals. But really, the Heat are really good basketball team. Celtics obviously are the hottest team on the planet, so the East is pretty much wide open, mm. and it should be. I think this is probably the most up for grabs that East Eastern Conference has been in a while. Um, I mean, you had LeBron who kind of just dominated the East for so long, and then last year it was pretty much just the uh, the Bucks or the um, Bucks or Nets in the uh, we're we're gonna go to the finals. But in the West, I think the Suns are the best team in basketball. I mean, they've already clinched the best record in the NBA. I think with the way if, if Chris Paul comes back healthy, um, him, DeAndre, and Devin Booker, they're going to be a tough out for anyone. I think uh, outside of the Suns, I think you're looking at the Grizzlies. Not a, not a lot of people are you know giving the Grizzlies their respect, even though they're the two seed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are throwing out this statistic of like 18-2 without John Morant which is interesting because Jaws is their best player. So it just shows, I guess, how deep their team is that they're able to win without them. So I think they're mm-hmm. going to be tough out. And obviously you can't forget about Golden State. Um, Steph comes back healthy. you got him, Clay Thompson. I think Draymond Green is the glue that keeps that team together. Um, so if he's healthy and playing, they're going to be very tough for anyone mm. to beat. If, if, if the Warriors are healthy, honestly, I think they might be the team to beat, be the team to beat in the West over the Suns. I mean, I think the Suns – Suns have been the best team all year, but the Warriors really haven't gotten that because Clay came back and then Steph got hurt and then Draymond's hurt. They haven't really been all playing together at the same, the same time. Yeah. Time. So if you get them um, yeah. on the floor together, 
they're so much fun to watch. Yeah. And I think the Warriors have to be the favorite yeah. in the West. I think they're going to get a more favorable match. They're currently on the three seed, but I expect the, the Mavericks to jump them because of the Steph injury. And the Warriors' schedule down the stretch uh, is kind of challenging. They, their next game actually is against the Suns. One team. Um, but sorry, uh, sorry, Danny. I want just just real quickly want to add that. Um, I think my my bold prediction, and you can call me biased here if you want. I think the Dallas Mavericks are going to the Western Conference Finals. I think they're going to get a much more favorable draw on the three line uh, versus the four line. I like. The Denver Nuggets are a really good team. Jokic is going to be the best player on the floor in that series, but I they don't have anyone who can guard Luka with um, uh, Michael Porter Jr. just perpetually injured and Jamal and Jamal Murray not going to play. I don't, I think he'll still be hurt. The scoring depth for the Nuggets isn't really there. And then if the Mavs play the Grizzlies in the second round, which is unless the Grizzlies get upset, what would be? I know the Grizzlies have that incredible depth. But Luka would be the best player on the floor, and it wouldn't be particularly close. And again, that's another team that I don't think they have anyone who can really slow him down. If the Grizzlies win, it'll be just because of the scoring depth they have. They have a ton, a ton of guys who can shoot, a ton of guys who get you points, a ton of guys who are great athletes, epitomized by Jaws' incredible athleticism. But I really like the Mavs' chance. I really like the Mavs' draw, how it's setting up to at least go to the Western Conference Finals. That's an uh, interesting take. I don't know how bold it is because, I mean, Mavs are the three seed. They would should be favored as the three seed for the West Conference Finals. But they would have to beat the two seed then, <coughs> the conference finals, not the conference semifinals. Oh, conference finals. Yeah, I guess. I mean, win two rounds. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely I, I, that would be a lot of fun. That series would be a lot of fun to watch if the uh, Mavs were playing the Grizzlies because you obviously got John Morant, Luka Doncic, two great, two two of the rising stars in the NBA. So I think that would be a lot of fun to watch. But enough. One team that. I want a lot of people to look out for, and I've been very high on is Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anthony Towns has been one of the best players on on planet Earth. I mean, all season. Just I get it; they're a small market in Minnesota. Not a lot of people really talk about them. They're not on national television a lot, so maybe not a lot of people are aware of how good Cat is. But he's truly a special talent, one of the best players in the world. And then you have young, emerging superstar Anthony Edwards, also D'Angelo Russell. The the Timberwolves are a good team, and if they're on that seven line, I don't think the Grizzlies want any part of them. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, well, we are actually over time now here a little bit, but uh, just such a rigorous discussion, I didn't, think, uh, I didn't want to cut us off. So um, that's gonna do it here for our show today. Come back uh, next week, next Wednesday. Um, I think the main takeaway for all of us is just go Cats. Um, gonna be st- an going to be absolutely awesome atmosphere I think at any of the game watches you go to any of the game watches on campus or off campus going to be a lot of fun and I like Villanova's chances to win a game and then maybe win a second game Uh, so for John, for Danny uh, this is Game Time Sports where it's always game time we'll see you next week, go Cats